Welcome to the ProcureTech Podcast, where we aim to excite and inspire you about how technology will shape our profession's future. I'm your host, James Meads, and I worked in corporate procurement for 16 years before starting my own business as a content creator and consultant in the procurement technology space. I'm deeply convinced that procurement must become less technocratic and embrace the entrepreneurial spirit and creativity if we're ever going to shake off our image of being a process-obsessed, box-ticking function. You definitely won't find vanilla content on here, and we're not afraid to tackle some controversial topics and tell it like it really is. So if that's your thing, now let's jump right into this week's episode. Yes, hello listeners, very warm welcome back to the ProcureTech podcast, where every week we tackle an interesting and innovative topic in the procurement technology space. We are the official podcast of procurementsoftware.site. So if you're looking to search, filter, and look for over 330 different solutions all in one place to find the one that is applicable to your specific business needs, then head over there and I'd love to hear your feedback of how we can improve the tool. It's completely free of charge to use for anyone on the buy side. Uh, And yeah, we really just like to make it accessible to smaller procurement teams in mid-market businesses and smaller organizations who maybe can't afford the subscriptions to some of these bigger research institutions. So I'd love to get your feedback. But now, without any further ado, I would like to introduce you to today's podcast guest, who we're going to be talking today about smart contracting, particularly in the professional services space and how software can help us to do that. And my guest to talk about that is Jan Ellerbock, founder and CEO of Swiss Smart Contract Platform, TrueLedger. Jan, very warm welcome. Thank you, James. It's a pleasure to be here. So your background is in insurance and in management consulting, right? The typical Swiss corporate experience. <laughs> <laughs> not, not the typical route into becoming a fintech or a procure tech founder. So maybe before we kick in to talk more about the software, just give us some background on what convinced you to make the transition from you know, a very stable career, I guess, <laughs> in quite a formal environment uh, to becoming founder and CEO of a startup? Yeah, thank you. That's a really good question. And, and I guess the best way to describe it is that by working uh, e- even in very senior roles in the insurance industry, I was always admiring the innovation power, the agility and the entrepreneurship that I saw in the tech industry and then I saw in some startups. So basically, at some point in time, I was wondering, you know, am I going to retire now in this corporate career eventually and then look back and wonder whether I've missed something or will I actually grab the opportunity and uh, do something and found my own company at some point in time? And uh, this, uh, what we're doing with TrueEdge addresses a pain point that I saw myself, uh, that my co-founder saw. Uh, we also saw that we can actually bring some crucial competency from the insurance industry into uh, what ultimately becomes a USP of that solution. And so it seemed that was the moment where the stars aligned. And so we said, let's grab this opportunity. Um, three co-founders, very similar background and just go for it. Yeah, and that resonates with me too. I, I made the decision to quit my job on my 40th birthday. So <laughs> but for, for similar reasons, you know, I didn't want to retire thinking, well, what did I actually achieve other than shuffling paper and dealing with other people's problems all day? Yeah. Um, so I mean, the last few years have seen a big proliferation in procurement tech startups focusing specifically on 
services procurement. And I think there's a good reason for that because historically the ecosystem, other than source to pay, very much focused on direct materials because of the nature of what it is. And it's, I guess, easier to get funding in that. That's typically where uh, procurement teams are, are somewhat more mature in uh, in their journey. Most of the services procurement platforms that are out there tend to be focused more towards either the sourcing and selection or the supplier relationship management piece of services procurement. And now, you know, what we're seeing with True Ledger and with a couple of other similar but not competing startups in this space, we're looking now more into how you manage services post contract signature. Maybe you can talk a little bit about why you think that's happening and where you see the potential to develop in in, in this area in terms of savings and cost control and supplier management potential. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a very good observation. And I would call it a little bit like this. Um, the initial part of the focus was very much on the, as I would call it, the dating phase uh, you know, between buyers and suppliers. <laughs> uh, and professional services has obviously always had a, a big role here to play. And the recent uh, evolution, as you just shared, has has gone very much in, in that direction. And I see two reasons for that to move on. The first one is this uh, sourcing and supplier relationship management part for pro- specifically for pro- professional services can only do so much. Um, the reason is that uh, basically, you know, expert databases, etc., all those ways of trying to find the perfect match, they actually are in practice sometimes very difficult because it boils down to individuals in professional services much more than to companies. So even if you work uh, or engage or employ somebody from a very strong brand, you know, global brand of professional services, you may still not get a guarantee for high quality or higher competency, even though that competency and quality may be available in other countries, in other teams, on other topics. But that makes it so difficult, I think, uh, to, as a procurement uh, professional, be the perfect matchmaker. So, so there has to be more than that. I think that's the first thing, uh, the first reason. And the second reason, which is quite interesting, is that actually, if you do analyses of where does value erosion occur, um, in a, uh, a business relationship in professional services, you find out that 70% of that value erosion actually happens after contract signature. So that's where you actually do the uh, performance management of the vendors, where you do tactical demand optimization, where you effectively steer those teams, where you handle invoices uh, and you ensure the contract compliance and you avoid the leakage. That's where actually the value gets lost or most of the value gets lost. So I see the trend that procurement is starting to realize that. And let's be fair, it's very specific to professional services. Because when I order a good, right, uh, the moment that that good is delivered, I have done the perfect job in procurement. When I order a service, the moment that that person who delivers the service walks into my building, that's actually the moment where the work starts. It's not the moment where the result is delivered. So that is that part needs to better support from procurement in order for procurement actually to move up the value chain, to engage in this phase and to assure that the true value of what's being procured is actually delivered. And uh, there I see uh, really procurement make that move, step up the value chain, become more of an enabling and empowering partner to their internal business stakeholders. And uh, I think that trend that you see in procurement now emerging is one where you see the ProcureTechs actually uh, emerging as well because these 70% are a huge uh, area with a lot of value to capture. 
Yeah, definitely. And I, I saw in my corporate career, and I assume it's you know still a problem, that there was often a big disconnect between you'd have a corporate procurement team that had negotiated a master services agreement or a global contract with some big global service provider. I mean, consultancy or audit is a, is a great example here. But then at a local country level, you know, these entities are separate legal organizations, right? Both from the, both from the supplier and, and from the customer. And you hinted on it a little bit in you, in, in the last answer when you were talking about the competencies of the, of, of the personnel on the supplier side. But it, I think it, it, it's also on the buyer side as well, that if you've got someone at a country or a, or, or a plant or production site level that maybe is somewhat less capable than the average procurement professional, these types of tech platforms give them the tools to be able to be a lot more assertive and a lot more structured in how they in how they manage and implement that service contract at a local level right because one of the things that i think buyers of of all abilities tend to get blindsided a bit by on services procurement is is cost creep and and I mean, there's a very good reason for that because buyers typically aren't the ones that are signing and approving the invoices when they come in it's the it's the business stakeholder that's acquiring the service, right? And they, he or she probably knows nothing about the contract terms. Yeah. And uh, if you actually look at that, it, it even goes further. And that's the interesting part, right? But you buy professional services, most of them still these days are time and material based contracts. So in other words, what you agree is you agree an hourly rate. Um, that's usually the focus of any negotiation uh, with the procurement team. And then you uh, agree on an initial effort estimate. And you think that is the total purchasing volume that you actually have signed up for. Now, having worked a little bit on the other side as well, let me tell you, that's the last thing that the vendors have in mind when they actually make this offer to you. In many cases, I've observed them saying, okay, let's just go in, offer it for 100, start the work, and halfway through, when we have a better picture, we come back and we tell them, guess what, it's going to be 150 or it's going to be 200. While procurement thought they had bought for 100. And sometimes, as you said, even the teams that received the service thought they had bought this for 100. And so uh, that's the fundamental issue of the whole process is you have two parties engaging in a collaboration that's not perfectly defined. And then basically along the way, they discover that things go completely different than they had originally thought, at least that, than one party had thought, usually it's the buyer side. And the result is very interesting. There is a, has been a recent survey which said that 70% of executives, they report our projects don't finish within budget. And 75% say, hey, we don't have any transparency in the quality and progress of our externals. So you see the frustration is there about the fact that something is a bit fishy here in the collaboration, but people don't really understand why. And, and what I've just described is exactly the main reason why. We go in and pretend to buy a fixed product, but in reality, what we buy is we buy the, the terms and conditions of the beginning of a collaboration. And the terms and conditions of the beginning of the collaboration is the, the very important point there. So that would be a good time maybe to take a little bit, step, a bit of a step back from, from what typically goes wrong and talk to us a little bit then about what can True Ledger do as a platform to enable the buyer to have, or, or the, or the fi financial controller or the, or, or the, uh, the part of the business that's financing the service to have a bit more control and visibility over the end-to-end the, the -end cost yeah. as it develops. 
So it does obviously start with the negotiation phase and with the contracting phase. And that really is the first point uh, to get right. And that's an, a pivotal responsibility of procurement in, in my view. And uh, let's, if we start about generic models, right, you can start uh, on, on the two extremes. The first extreme is I have a traditional time and material uh, type contract, which means I pay my provider for their effort. I don't pay them for any result. Every moment they spend trying to help me yeah. is something that I pay for, right? That's the classic uh, concept. It has the scope creep issue that we just described. The other extreme is a fixed price agreement where up front I say, you do this work until it's done and I pay you 100 for it. Now, the issue here typically is that first of all, that suppliers, when they offer you that deal, they put in a huge insurance policy for themselves of, of 20, 30, 40% on top of what they estimate themselves that what they will take. The second thing is you will have a constant scope creep discussion because all the time it's going to be, but that wasn't included and we did not think that this was part of the job. Uh, this should not be, uh, this should be an extra, this should not be uh, included. So you, you go back and forth and you basically start renegotiating the contract from, from day one. But there are also a lot of models in between that can be very interesting and very intriguing. For example, you have vendors uh, propose uh, a budget but then you negotiate an access volume discount. So it means the more the collaboration exceeds the jointly agreed budget, the lower actually the rates get that I pay. And the harshest form of that is a cost cap where you say everything above that amount, it's just zero and you have to finish the job. It's more dynamic. It allows for more abilities to play with each other, right? Uh, other uh, solutions are to have bonuses and penalties. You know, we have this joint target. We want to get this project done by then um, with, with that budget. If we achieve that, you get X extra. I pay you a bonus on top. If you fail to do so, you know, the, the further the, we fail together, right? The, the, again, the more there is a penalty which I can deduct from the additional fees that I pay you because there is more work that, that needs to be done. What this does, it actually creates an alignment of interest with your vendors to, to have the same goal and to achieve the same result. And, and uh, from my personal experience that I've, as a professional in the insurance industry made is whenever you engage in such models, you actually have a much better way of collaborating and you actually have a much higher chance of making the collaboration a, a true success. And the interesting part is when it now going back to the dating phase and to the, to the vendors that you negotiate with, the vendors which are quality players, they will agree to such terms because they themselves understand what they're doing. They understand uh, what it takes. They understand the risks that they're engaging with you. And they're more than happy to engage in such a, a concept. A vendor which is a pure capacity player, usually those are the ones that are a bit cheaper when it comes to the hourly rate, right? They have a tendency of not accepting such models because they know their model is to take capacity, take people out to you, have them work to you and charge uh, you for every minute that they are in the office, whether they're productive or not. And so what's important for you as a, as a company is to understand in which scenario is what the, right to, uh, what the right terms and conditions that you want to use for that specific engagement. And from my view, there are three major criteria uh, that need to be looked at. The first one is the overall size of the engagement. How big is the project? Um, that's, that's very important, obviously, to understand when you choose the right model. Another one is um, how clear is the scope? Uh, is it very well defined? Perfectly, I know exactly what's needed. There's very little, very little doubt. Or do I expect a lot of um, uh, things evolving over time? And the last point, very similar direction, is obviously the risks that are there 
let's say uh, you have a major IT development and uh, how risky will it be to connect to certain interfaces uh, in your system or to fulfill certain uh, security requirements that are evolving and so on and so forth. So understand the objective risk that also uh, your vendor would be exposed to as you basically launch the collaboration. And with those factors in mind, you can very well then start choosing the right strategy, the right negotiation approach for uh, the respective engagement that you are that you're setting up. Thank you for that. So let's assume then that we, as, as the buying organization, have a pretty good idea of how we want to structure a particular piece of work in terms of what payment model we want to use based on those examples you gave us. How can we then use the True Ledger platform to be able to track those costs and keep an eye on what's happening and to and to automate the the, the invoice to payment process during the delivery of that service? Yes. So what TrueLedger does, it literally takes that contract which you would normally find on a, a physical or virtual piece of paper and it brings that contract to life. What does it mean? They become machine-executable smart contracts. So the system obviously knows the contract in itself, always the latest, latest version, right? It might change over time, but it always knows the latest version of the contract. And it knows all the delivery tracking that has happened. And uh, from the perspective of, you know, what has happened and also how it has happened, uh, you know, with how much effort, at what time and so on and so forth. So with this information, the smart uh, contracting engine um, allows the opportunity to basically keep what I would call an, an, an real-time active open tab, if you wish, just like at the bar, you know, you know how many drinks you've consumed, you know what your actual tally is. So you are very, very clear on, on uh, uh, where you stand as of today and you can compare it against budget. You can see how you progressed. You can understand whether you were ahead of schedule, behind schedule, whether you're going to make budget or not make, make budget and so on and so forth. And another very important functionality uh, that comes with it is the fact that you can actually generate invoices automatically. So the system can do that on behalf of the buyer and the vendor. And you can imagine the more you go into these uh, various contract structures that we have just discussed above, the more difficult it also becomes to actually physically follow up, make sure the invoices are correct. And that's something which the system takes care of. So it just automatically applies uh, these different uh, uh, contract structures that you have chosen and it applies the terms that you have actually uh, agreed. So consider TrueLedger really uh, your daily collaboration assistant with your, with your externals. Uh, and it takes care of all the, you know, tracking, reporting, validation, contact compliance check and everything else that you would otherwise do manually. Frankly, all the painful work where you have little to gain, but you have a lot to lose in case things go wrong because then you have audit in your place or you have massively overspent. And that's the part where TrueLedger really helps you avoid these things from happening in the first place. So instead of you wondering if, if you go into your ERP system and you see an open purchase order, but you can't necessarily see how many invoices have been booked against it or how much budget is remaining without having to click on a few different screens. This will give you a dashboard in one place to be able to show you where you are and where there is a risk of... Uh, and, and I guess it will also then flag as soon as you start to go over that or, or if you're getting up to, say, 80 90% of your budget. Yes, exactly. And it will give you a daily projection or literally a real-time projection as more information comes in on, hey, some work, something has happened here, something has happened there. Even though you haven't even paid or been invoiced for these services, you already know that they're there and you already know how they impact your, your budget. So your whole tracking and management becomes real-time. 
And uh, guess what? I don't have to wait six, eight weeks for the first time to get an update on where I stand after I started my, my collaboration. I get that update after a day. So that's really uh, the big difference is I yeah. have this real-time information, obviously on any single engagement, but then also for an entire portfolio. So what if I have 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 vendors working on a major project? Guess what? I can get that snapshot every day, understanding how my total uh, project performs uh, with respect to the external spend, which tends to be the most volatile uh, spend of all if it comes to you know project management or these kind of aspects, uh, the real-time cost tracking, that's where the overspending happens. It doesn't happen usually on internal resources. And it also doesn't usually happen on, on hardware and other things. It's really typically uh, the, the service part that, that overshoots. And that's the part that you get perfectly under control. And I guess it can also track the type of people that are working on the contract as well, right? So I mean, if, you, if you're worried that maybe a partner is spending too many days on a consulting contract and that's pushing the price up, or uh, if, if you're doing a maintenance contract and, and they're sending in maybe one apprentice too many because they want to use that as a way to train them, you, you can pick up on that and be able to see it in real time. Yes, exactly. And you can, for example, uh, immediately go uh, into root cause analysis. So let's say I have one project here where it overshot by 20%. Well, looking at it in detail, the total resource spent was actually, as you said, it was exactly as this defined. But what happened is the resource mix was not correct. There was much more seniority on the project than it was originally anticipated. So that's a great example of how actually a resource mix plays a major role and that's something you see here in an instant and you see it as it as it develops on a daily basis you can interfere quickly you can correct things if they're going out of out of proportion and you can make sure that you are in charge and you are in control and you don't get caught up uh, you know 6 8 weeks later with an invoice that came unexpected came in late uh, has some charges that you weren't uh, uh, that you didn't thought were 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 appropriate but they happen so late after things happen that it's very difficult to come back and then start start arguing, which is always a very difficult conversation to have because it's after the fact. But in our case, you can have a discussion in real time and you can correct immediately because that information is visible to you. Got it. And I assume here that we're talking medium to large companies for the most part because of, because of what it is that you do. And, and these companies, generally speaking, won't be raising purchase orders in Word and Excel. They will have they they, they will have either an ERP system or some sort of procure to pay, maybe a, a, a SAP Ariba or Cooper or, so, or something similar. How does it fit into that? And how does it bridge the gap? You, I mean, I, I guess you'll, you you might be, you might be listening to this, scratching your head, thinking, okay, but I've got I've got Cooper or I've got Ariba, and that can manage and that can manage invoices electronically and, and in real time rather than having to use ERP. So maybe just to, to, to drive that point home in terms of its differentiation. Yeah, so very important. Uh, we do not encourage you to throw your Ariba or your Cooper away. Um, we are truly an add-on. Um, so we work very, very nicely on top. And in fact, in most cases, our customers start not even by integrating us with these systems because their processes as of today are anyway not fully integrated for the professional service part. But uh, even that is possible. So it, it is really just um, a minor modification to what you have in the, in the core functionality of these systems. It's obviously focused at this point in time. We're focused on one particular spend category, which is the, the whole servicing part, especially professional services, but also some other services. And so here, what we say is, consider us an add-on, use us on top, 
But rest assured that a lot of the governance processes that these tools would ask you otherwise to perform, you no longer have to do them. So you can take the invoices out of True Ledger, either feed them directly or somebody feeds them up manually into your Ariba and it, co- and co- sorry, and it can go in as an approved invoice. So it doesn't need to go through the entire organization and everybody needs to uh, give their validation, which, by the way, is anyway questionable in terms of the, the, the practical effectiveness of such checks. But those are the kind of yeah. things where we can help you um, provide integrity and have full transparency in your uh, existing uh, P2P tools. But at the same time, we can also help you by, uh, first of all, feeding them with much more accurate, up-to-date information. So your purchase order gets constantly updated. Uh, You can constantly get a new uh, uh, update on what the expected total cost actually will be. And you can later on save a lot of the governance tasks that these tools are supporting because they are no longer necessary. Yeah, and, and that's a huge efficiency gain on the one hand, but there are also hard numbers behind it as well. And I know that you guys have done some uh, some analysis on this in terms of contract compliance in the professional services space. What are you typically seeing in the, in the case studies that you've looked at? So um, we actually looked at concrete client cases. They are not just, uh, let's say, sample cases. But we, as we work with with clients, what we see actually is that um, the total savings from from everything that we spoke about, uh, and we might elaborate even on a few points and a bit more, uh, but if we speak about, you know, getting the, the negotiations right in the beginning um, and then uh, basically having a proper transparency, act on that transparency as you get it. And then last but not least, letting the system ensure the full contract compliance and that there's no leakage and no overcharges and all these factors uh, taken care of the result are savings of 10 to 25% on uh, your total professional service spent. And that is a huge number. And most people, when they hear it for the first time, they say, whoa, that cannot be. But let's keep in mind, we're focusing on the 70% of untapped potential that's happening uh, in terms of value erosion after contract signature. That part, many organizations forget about. And that inefficient I call it often pennywise pound foolish, right? You, you, you negotiate 5% rate reduction yeah. at the front before you sign the contract. But afterwards, you keep these guys in, in the office for, for uh, 20% longer than it would have been absolutely necessary had they been managed in an optimal way. And that's exactly what we empower you to do. So that's it. those savings are enormous. And uh, as I said, 10 to 25%, depending on the overall maturity of the organizations. So definitely a business case worth looking at. Yeah, no, I can absolutely believe that. It's the, another example from that is when you're buying new machinery and equipment and procurement typically, and the business, in fact, has their eyes on the budget for the cost of the new equipment. But then little do they realize that the supplier is just going to rip them off for the next 10 years on spare parts (laughs) and after sales because that's the cash cow of the business and nobody ever bothers to question it. It's, uh, yeah, it's, I, I, I can well believe those numbers, actually. It's, you certainly don't need to convince me. <laughs> so you've obviously taken a lot of your experience and a lot of your inspiration from this, from the professional services industry, but could this also be used for something like buildings management contracts or uh, scheduled maintenance shutdowns in manufacturing industries? Yes. So the, the absolute answer is yes, it can. And uh, funny enough that you manage, uh, mentioned building management and facility management, because in uh, speaking to, to multiple experts that we, that we collaborate with, 
actually it has uh, come to light that this is one of the industries where uh, the savings potential, uh, especially with respect to content compliance, is, is one of the biggest. And uh, so there is a huge potential there as well. Uh, the maintenance part that you just mentioned uh, also included. So we are very happy and we are very open to use this technology which we have up and running for the professional service part. And uh, let's be fair, that's the part we chose because that's where we had our professional background, where we know the industry extremely well. It's very well applicable to other industries. And we look forward to really discussing with clients who are interested in, in taking that to the next level with them, jointly with them, making sure that we uh, you know, slightly tweak the capability that we already have to allow them to use it very effectively for their, for their business and for the, 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 the goods and the services that they procure. Fantastic. So just to close this out then, Jan, just for the listener's benefit, uh, we at procurementsoftware.site uh, are a, a partner of True Ledger. You know, I really believe in what in, in what this can do and and in being able to make service services spend more more visible and more cost controllable in real time. So you can reach out to me in the first instance if you'd like to learn more. But if anyone would like to maybe connect with you, Jan, or take a look at your website, where should we send them? Yes. So first of all, there is a link on your uh, website. So uh, always uh, happy to have uh, people go on the procurement software site and uh, uh, then find the link to TrueLedger. If you want to go directly, um, you can either contact us under trueledger.net. That's uh, our website. Uh, you can also reach out to me via LinkedIn. And uh, if you mention this podcast, uh, then you can claim our initial opportunity assessment workshop uh, free of charge. So we're more than happy to have a discussion with you about your specific situation and how we can actually help you in um, uh, achieving these incredible savings and, and, and reaping these benefits that we mentioned earlier. You heard it there, ladies and gentlemen. So if you're thinking and scratching your head how you're going to deliver savings in 2024, maybe across your professional services spend, and you've still got some time to go and negotiate that budget with your CFO, then snap Jan's hands off and uh, take advantage of that opportunity assessment after listening to the show. Jan, always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, hopefully see you sometime this year later at one of the conferences that I'm going to. And, uh, and yeah, we, I hope that this brings you some potential new inquiries. Excellent. Thanks a lot, James. It was a pleasure. Okay, so that's smart contracting in the professional services space. I hope this has given you a few ideas of how you can drive some otherwise invisible savings. Just a quick note before we sign off, I would really appreciate it, especially if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, to hop over in your iPhone or on your Mac and give us a quick review of the show. It helps us to reach more people and I truly appreciate you listening to the show. We will catch you again same time next week. Until then, take care and bye for now.